It's really been a joy and a privilege to be with you, to enjoy the fellowship. Um, in fact, I find it very hard to express how, how deeply touched I am by the fellowship and the uh, openness for us and the opportunity for us to minister the word, to share the word with you. Um, this is not the last session. I have a very uh, strong word of encouragement for this afternoon. So please stay and hear the end of the conversation. Let's turn to the epistle of John, the first epistle of John. And we'll read the first chapter. So 1st John uh, chapter 1. And I want to speak with you this morning about love. It's a very, very difficult subject to speak on. Um, one of the things that makes preaching difficult is that we have preconceived ideas about things. So the moment I mention a word like love, we all have our own ideas to what that means. And it's many times, often, it is not the biblical. Uh, understanding of it. And so I, I trust that this morning we may be able to uh, be reminded of what love really is, particularly in the context of our love for one another. Um, and that maybe we'll see a few things that we may not have paid attention to before. So let's read from 1 John chapter 1 and from uh, verse 1 through verse 10, the end of the uh, chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ." And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. Now, I again, uh, just want to touch on verse 7 and, and then we're going to go through the, uh, uh, through the epistle and um, it's going to take us a, a good three hours to get through. Um, but we'll go right through, uh, through the epistle and look at what he says about love. But he begins here and he says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There can be no fellowship unless we walk in the light. That's right. The world has fellowship on the basis of compromise and concealment. So the world has differences, and they will, but they will stick together because they have a common cause. And in the process, they will suppress the issues that they have with one another. But John is saying we need to walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in in the light. And we say, well, you need to walk in the light of the gospel. You need to walk in the light that you've received concerning the word of God. But he is using the term here in the sense of walking in openness. Walking not in darkness. You see, we can have a relationship. But it can only be skin deep. It can only be very, very shallow. Because we have issues 
We have personal issues with ourselves. We have issues with others. And so we conceal those things. We don't reveal our true hearts to one another. And we, we touched on this because we're, we're, because we're afraid. And yet what John is saying is that our fellowship is based on walking in openness, walking in the light. Not just walking in the truth of God's word in the light in that sense, but having nothing hidden. And that can only be true, and that can only happen if there is true love. Now the world uses that term, true love. But it's that kind of love that you fall in and out of. And I, as we look at John, he, he presents a picture of love which is dramatically different to what the church generally speaks of love. In the heydays of the charismatic uh, movement, there was a, a song that they used to sing just about every meeting. It's love, it's love that makes the world go round. And so we hug each other, we shake each other's hands, and we, 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 we love each other, but it, it is meaningless it is meaningless because it's only words. And I think the point that John is making, as we'll see, is that love needs to be more than just words. So let's have a look at chapter 3 and verse 10. So you can uh, be relieved. We've already skipped two chapters. <laughs> John, making good progress. <laughs> verse 10, John 3, verse 10, uh, 1 John 3, 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Wow. Folk, this is... This, uh, you know, here's, here's the thing. We look at John. Our preconceived idea of John is that John was a little soft. He wasn't really a macho man. Peter, he was the man. John was a little softy. softy. And I'm not suggesting at, in any way that he was effeminate. I don't believe that. But we see John leaning on the breast of the Lord Jesus on his, on his bosom and at the Last Supper. He speaks about love. Men don't speak about love. We speak about guns and motorbikes and chainsaws. Those are the things of men. Knives, forging iron into a usable tool. That's the stuff of men. Men don't deal in love. So John is this guy who talks about love. But here's the thing. He's not talking about love in the way that the world romanticizes love. And he's making some, and he's going to make many very, very powerful statements and so the first thing is, he says, he who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now that's not the message uh, this morning, but I need to stop on that for a moment. Because we live in a time when people say, well, you know, I, I've been made righteous at the cross. And now I have grace and I can continue in sin. I can live as I am, as I, as I wish. But John says, if you do not practice, not if you are not forensically, judicially, theologically righteous, but he who does not practice, live, righteousness, is not of God. Now, again, we understand the, the faith and works thing. I'm not going to get into that. 
We're not saved because we practice righteousness. We practice righteousness because we are saved. Because we've been transformed, we shun sin and we cleave to that which is righteousness. So those who do not practice righteousness, and folk, we live in a time when, and we spoke about this on Friday night, when, when the vast majority of the world, does not, of the church, does not practice righteousness. There is no integrity, there is no honesty, there is no sexual purity anymore. And we say, well, well we're saved. No, John says you're not saved. Simple as that. But now here's the, here's the problem. Nor is he who does not love his brother. If you do not love your brother, he says you're not saved. Simple as that. Oh, but we do love the brothers. Because that's our immediate response when we read that verse. We say, I I, I love the brethren. I'm saved. But what does John mean about love and what do we mean by love? You see, our understanding of love is that, yeah, we'll, we'll smile at each other, we'll greet each other, high and by. We'll tolerate one another. And we say, oh, that's, that's love. <coughs> and as long as we don't hate one another, I'm going to come back to that idea, as long as we don't hate one another, we, we're, we're, we'll love one another. Well, let's see what John says. Verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now, look at what he is saying. He is saying there are two options. Only two options. Love and hate. There is nothing in between in John's thinking. Now, I I know I've been accused many, many, many times of being too black and white. But folk, it is black and white. That's right. And you either love or you hate. And we say, no, 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 but there's a whole spectrum between love and hate. No, in God's thinking, there is no spectrum. If you do not love the brethren, you hate them. That's, that's what John is saying. I don't know what I'm saying. Study the words. And if you hate, you are what? A murderer. That's what John is saying. He says, if you don't love, you're like Cain. I'm, I'm paraphrasing the passage, but that's the gist of what he is saying. Now, is John out on a limb here? Is he he making some kind of statement that he sucked out of the air? I think he has in mind that Jesus said that if you are angry with your brother, you have murdered him. He said, well, how can you get from just being angry with my brother because he did something that upset me and now I'm a murderer? Well, the problem is that oftentimes the only thing that prevents murder is opportunity. But sometimes we are so angry with our brethren that we're ready to kill them. And we say, no, 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 it doesn't go that far. Folk, you may not in your anger, in your frustration, with your brother, kill him physically. But you kill him emotionally. You kill his reputation. 
Recently, someone did a video on me. It's on the internet. It's been watched thousands and thousands of times. It's murder. The man killed me. In the eyes of thousands of people. It's murder. And I'm not speaking because we, we all do that. We even use it in our language. Brother, you're dead to me. Don't we say that? He's dead to me. What have you done? You've killed him. Maybe not with a knife or with a gun, but you've killed him in your mind. What different are you, how are you different to Cain in having done that? Now I know we say, well, I, uh, folk, we have all done that. It's easy when we are angry, when we are upset. And we say, oh, no, no, but I'm only defending righteousness. No, it's not righteousness. How many people did Jesus kill for righteousness' sake? No one. Yeah, judgment is coming. That's another story. Did Jesus have reason to kill the Pharisees? To kill the Romans? Everybody else thought he had reason, but he didn't. He loved them. Now we go to verse 14, sorry, we've gone through 14, 15, 16. Here's the flip side. By this we know love. You see, John had the same problem I am having right now. Because John was saying, love the brethren. And people were saying to John, we do love the brethren. But he says, this is what I mean when I use the word love. Because he laid down his life for us. So how do we know the love of God? Because God sent us a verse by the same man, John, that God so loved the world. Sent us another word saying God is love. So now we know that God loves us because God sent a prophet who told us he loves us. Is that the word? No. He demonstrated his love. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have a saying in South Africa, talk is cheap, but money buys the bread or the jam. It's easy to talk. Those who've been married for a while will know it's easy to stand at the altar and say, I love you until death as do part. It's easy to talk. It's another thing to practice. Yes. And God, hereby we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Yes. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's where the tire meets the road. Oh, I'll die for the church. Yeah, right. Are you going to be in the meeting tonight? Well, if it's not too cold. <laughs> you see, we, we, we'll, all give a, we'll all die for the faith. But he's not asking us to die for the faith. He's asking us to live. And we'll all die for the brethren. We say, yeah, yeah, I'll die for the brethren. He's not asking you to. He's asking you just to give up a bit of your time to love your brother. No, no, well, uh, you know, I'm busy right now. I've got things to do. He's going to talk about practical things in a moment. Folk, our love needs to be more than words. Because words are meaningless. I'm not saying that the word of God is not meaningless, but our words are meaningless. 
We, 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 we make promises we don't have any ability or intention even to keep. We speak about love, but in fact, we speak about love in our marriage. And I'm sorry for coming back to that, but that's just where the rubber meets the road, really. But the first time the toast is burnt, love flies out the window. I think you all know what I'm, of what I'm speaking. It's easy to talk. John is saying, no, love is proven. And love is proven in a sacrificial way. <coughs> now that's a word we don't like today. We don't like the word sacrifice. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we like sacrifice in the context of the cross. But not in the sense that I have to make any same kind of sacrifice. That certainly in America, it's not a very American idea. The idea of making a sacrifice, having to give up something. And you remember, David defines sacrifice. He says, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And we will, make, we, we will give time, effort, money, help, encouragement, when it's not going to cost me anything. But the moment it costs, no, we draw the line. But John is saying, love is sacrificial. And we know that in the context of marriage. We've, I'm sure you've heard that before. And yet, that is true in the context of the body of Christ. And folk, here's just the reality. I have seen very, very few brothers and sisters who are willing to love the church, not the Lord. We're going to come back to that. But who will love the church sacrificially. Who will sacrifice. Pay a price to love the body of Christ. Oh, we expect that of the pastors. Pastors must sacrifice. But the congregation doesn't have to. Because the first time things become uncomfortable, we're out. The first time we have to put in some kind of effort to help in some way or the other. Oh, no, no, well, I've got things to do. Bought myself a farm. I have to go and look at my farm. I bought the yoke of oxen or a new ute. I have to go and test it out. Oh, I just got married and you know, I, I have to look after my family. No, John is saying love sacrifices. What sacrifice have you made for the brethren? I was challenged by the word this morning, personally, as I stand at a crossroads in my own ministry. How much am I willing to sacrifice? Have I gotten tired of sacrificing? Those are things I have to wrestle with and you have to ask yourself. But it's, he's talking here about not just sacrifice in the sense of Taking your lamb, now I'm not talking about this in the context of atonement, but taking that lamb that you love and giving it to your brother. Is that a sacrifice? Yes, it is. But he's not even talking about a lamb. He's not talking about your motor car. He's talking about your life. Giving your life for your brother. And folk, sometimes we struggle to give God four hours a week or to give the church four hours a week. And we say, no, I'll, I'll give my life for the body. I'll give my life for, the, for my brethren. Verse 17, but whoever has this world's goods 
and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Just a simple question. Now, I know that that verse is pretty meaningless in the Western world, here in Australia and America, because we don't have many brethren in need, financially. But folk, every one of us here has needs. They may not be in money or in food, but emotional needs. Pastors have enormous needs. My heart breaks when I speak to pastors, to brethren, who don't have friends. Nobody in the congregation will befriend them and love them. They'll love them in the pulpit, but when they've shaken hands at the door, that's the end of it. They go home and they sit there with themselves and their wives and maybe their families. Yeah, they have to meet everybody else's need. But who's meeting these brethren's needs? They have as many and more emotional needs than you have. Because they're pouring themselves out all the time. Who's meeting their need? And we say, oh, well, I, I love the elders. I love the pastor. But are you doing something to help them? Now, I, I know you say, well, I, I, I don't, it doesn't look like the elders need help. Well, that's, I guess, part of our job is to To not be looking like we have needs all the time. But we have. He said, well, how do, I, how do I know what I can do? Now, I, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this. Because, again, it's not, just, it's not about pastors. It's about every single one of us. Every single... We need to hear the voice of the Spirit saying... There's someone over there that's lonely. There's someone over there that's hurting. There's someone over there that has a different need. But he says, if you shut your heart up to that need, you don't love. Folk, we, we should be the richest people. And you know I'm not talking about money. But we should be the richest people emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in the world. Because remember what we spoke about yesterday, we should all be looking out for one another. John is saying the same thing. We should be meeting one another's need. But because we're not listening to the Spirit, because we think all the Spirit is speaking to me about is spiritual things. No, he, he should be speaking and he does speak to us about our, the, the needs of others around us. Now, let me give you one example and then give you a challenge. When I was here three years ago at the beginning of COVID, and I'm sorry to mention the brother, but I think that it's an illustration we didn't have a clue what was waiting for us. You didn't know, I didn't know. But somehow God laid on the heart of Brother Chris to give me a camera, a video camera, and to train me in how to do live streaming. We had no clue at that point of what was about to happen within weeks of that, of that when he sat down with me in Werner and Ella's house and trained me. 
And as I said to you, I got on one of the last planes, landed in L.A. The city was dead. No traffic on the streets. First Sunday, no service. I have to live stream. But our brother was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. I didn't even know my need. I didn't know that I would have to go back and be able to live stream. But God knew my need. And not just my need, but the need of the body of Christ. And, and hundreds of folk, not just in our church, but all over the world, were, have been blessed and ministered to because one brother was sensitive to the Spirit and did something which I couldn't articulate my need even. I didn't even know I had that need. But God knew. And the brother was sensitive. Now here's my challenge to you. When you come to the meetings, pray before you come and say, Lord, please put somebody on my heart that I can come alongside and that I can encourage, that I can help in one way or the other. Folks, it's not the job of the pastors or the elders only. And any pastor who's worth and any elder who's worth his salt comes to the meeting with intent of saying, there's somebody, there's this person, that person, that person that I need to connect with. I'm concerned. They don't look good. There's a potential problem. And we come alongside them. But folks, that's not... It's not just the elders' responsibility. It's every one of our responsibility to look out for the needs of everyone else. Now, we all have our own needs. But if we all come with our needs, well, we're going to have a pity party. But if we all come supplying one another's need, we can have a glorious feast. See, I don't know, in, back in South Africa, we used to have barbecues, church barbecues. And, and some people bring Viennas, but they eat steak. <laughs> and spiritually, we come together and some of us bring nothing, but we want all the spread of what everybody else is able to, to supply. Folk, we're not takers. We need to be like Jesus, who gave. Jesus never took. He gave. All right, where are we? Let's go to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So he's just saying the same thing again in a different way. If we love, we are being like God. Verse 8, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now remember where we've been. He said, John is saying, when I speak about love, I'm not talking about soppy puppy love. I'm talking about love that sacrifices. John says, I'm talking about love that physically meets the needs of my brethren. Now he says, he who does not love does not know God. In other words, if you are not willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of your brother or your sister, you don't know God. I'm not saying that. That's what John says. That is the word of God. Can, can you see our problem? 
Because, first of all, how many of us are making sacrifice for the sake of our brothers? How many of us are just bypassing their needs? And John is saying, if you do that, you don't love. And if you don't love, you don't know God. You're not saved. Wow. Folks, that's not what I'm saying. You, you go home and you study what John is saying. That's what John is saying. Now, I'm not casting aspersions on your salvation. I'm sure that 99% of us, hopefully all of us here this morning, are born again. But if we are, we need to live as people who are. And we need to be like God. All right, we go to verse 9. Uh, chapter 4, verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, in that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So He demonstrates His love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now notice verse 11, if God so loved us. In other words, it's not just loving, but it's how we love. So if that is how God loved us, we need to love one another in the same way. Now, what, did he, what has he just said? That God loved first. God loved first. You see, here's the problem we have. We will love those who love us first. So if you love me, then I'll love you back. But God says you need to initiate, because if you're going to love like God, you need to initiate love. But we're all waiting for somebody else to love me first, and then if they love me, then I'll reciprocate. No, he said, it doesn't work that way. If you're going to be like God, if you're going to love like God, you need to begin loving first. In other words, you need to extend yourself, put your pride and your fears on the line, go beyond your comfort zone, and begin to love somebody. Oh, but what if I'm rejected? Fuck, I'm being just very honest. I know about rejection. I grew up being rejected. And having preached the kind of message that I preached for the last 50 years, I know what rejection feels like. But that is no excuse because none of us have experienced rejection like Jesus experienced rejection as he was nailed to that cross. And even his disciples turned away from him. And yet that didn't stop him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now here's another challenge for you this morning. Will you please go home? Uh, not now, later. <laughs> but determine in your heart to find somebody in your local assembly, and I trust that you are part of a local assembly. Say, Lord, lead me to somebody that I can be a true friend to. Because, folk, I know that in every one of our assemblies, there are people who are lonely. Now, now that, is, that, that blows my mind. That someone can be in a Christian church and be lonely. But I've just told you, there are pastors who are lonely. And there are believers who are lonely. And they come and they sit there and they hurt. And they go home and they're hurting. Because sometimes we won't even greet one another. 
Oh, Christians don't do that. Christians do do that. Will you go home and say, Lord, lay some other family on my heart? Oh, but I have no one that I have anything in common with. Well, guess how much Jesus had in common with us? Nothing. Not only did he not have anything in common with us, but he found us repulsive in our sin. Everything within him mitigated against even coming close to us. The spotless, holy Lamb of God. What fellowship is light and darkness? And yet he humbled himself and he came and embraced us. Loved us. And I know we have a problem because we're human. And we, 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 we love nice people. But folk, don't be deceived. We are not nice people. We think we are. But in comparison to the Lord, we are pretty despicable. But he loves us. And he continues to love us. And even though we are disobedient, even though we break his heart, and I know I break God's heart many times, he still loves us. And he doesn't reject us. Can we just manifest a little bit of his love towards one another? Towards those folk who come into the church and maybe of a different ethnicity. Maybe of a different social class. Folk, I, I am, I'm absolutely horrified by social segregation within Christian churches. I watch my own church. And there are people of the same ethnicity. But because we're educated, we will not let our kids play with those kids because they are uneducated. In a Christian church, where we claim to be born again, And I watch after the meeting how that group gathers over there and that group gathers over there. And we will never join together, but we'll come around the Lord's table and we'll say, we have taken one bread and one cup. We lie. There's no reality. There's no substance to it because we will take one bread and one cup, but we won't have fellowship outside the door. Fuck, we need to get real. The time has come, as I've been trying to convey, for us to get beyond playing games, beyond playing church. And that these things are not what I'm telling you today is simple. What I've told you yesterday is simple things, but they need to become reality. Yes. We need to extend ourselves beyond our personal preferences of who we like and who we don't like. We need to love in a real way. So here's my challenge. Go home and say, who in the church needs my friendship? Not who can give me friendship, but who needs my friendship? And I use that word friendship in a, on purpose. Because, you see, we use the word love and we say, well, you know, I, I, I love that person. But I can't be friends with them. Well, what are we talking about then? We need to be friends. And I don't mean friends in the sense that we're not enemies. But friends in the sense that we're there for one another. Let me use an example. As you know, we're moving from Los Angeles to Wisconsin. We bought a house there. And there's people across the street 
And the, we've spent a few weeks there fixing the house and starting to get it ready. And these people have befriended us more than 20 years in Los Angeles. We still don't have friends. When I speak about pastors not having friends, I'm not the only one. And yet these people, they're younger than we are. They're American. We are not American in any way, shape or form, even though I have the, the passport. They are of a different persuasion theologically than we are. But they befriended us. They've shown us love, care. They've shown interest in us. And it's blown our minds. And yet this should be true in every body of Christ. Where we show interest in one another. We care. Not, yeah, brother, I'll pray for you. But I really care. And I'll come alongside you. And I'll visit you at your home. I may not have words to speak, but I'll be there with you. As you struggle. We need to love. If God so loved us, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 17. Now, John's coming at this thing from every possible angle because it's so serious. So he's coming from a different angle now. Verse 17 of chapter 4. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness on the day of judgment because, he, because as he is, so we are in this world. So again, he's saying, as God loved, we need to love. As God it was or is, so we need to be. But now he's bringing another part of the argument. And he's saying, if we love, we will have confidence... On the day of judgment. Think about what he's saying. What is he implying? That if we don't love, we will not have confidence on the day of judgment. Oh, but I thought we, uh, we just need to love. We'll see a verse in a moment. But over and over in John, he says, this commandment we have of the Lord. Commandments need to be obeyed. You see, so because we, we think, well, you know, love is an option. It's, it's one of those things, you know, you can buy a motor car and you can have a sunroof if you want. And, you know, you can have big tires if you like. And, you know, I can be a Christian and I can love if I like. No, he's showing us that love is, is like the engine of the car. You, you can't have a car without an engine. You can't have Christianity or a church without love. Didn't Paul say the same thing? See, you can prophesy, you can have all knowledge, you can, you can give your body to be burnt. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. But now John is saying, or implying that if we don't love, we will not have confidence. We will be ashamed on the day of judgment. What a statement. In other words, God will call us and hold us accountable for how we loved. That's a different angle. God will hold us accountable for how we loved. Remember, Jesus speaks in a different context, and he says that a man is forgiven a lot of a big debt. And he finds his fellow servant who owes him a few pennies, and he doesn't forgive him. Now, he's talking about forgiveness. 
but I believe the same principle applies to love. Because he says, what's going to happen to that man who didn't forgive his servant? He says, God's going to deal with him. And I'm just paraphrasing very quickly. But the same thing applies to love. In the light of the way that God has loved us and the <laughs> enormity of God's love towards us, and we can't extend a little bit of love to someone else, what do you think is going to happen when we stand before him on that day? And I'm not talking about losing your salvation in this context. I'm talking about having confidence as we stand before him. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words. And those words are connected to how I love. All right. Verse, where are we? 17. Verse 20. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I'm not going to spend too much time on that verse, but it's because it speaks for itself. You see, because here's the problem. That brother that you despise contains Jesus Christ. If he is born again, Christ is in him. That's right. And so when you reject that brother, you're rejecting Jesus. You say, oh, no, brother, that you're really reading into it. No, Jesus says, what you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And folk, the way we treat one another is how we're treating Jesus. Say, no, it's just, it's just symbolic. No, it's not symbolic. Paul says, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Because when Paul persecuted the church, he was persecuting Jesus. And when we hurt one another, we're hurting the Lord Jesus. And when we love one another, we're loving him. Now, I understand we can take this to an extreme and we end up with a social gospel. You know where I'm at. I, 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 we're not talking about a social gospel. Because if this is not founded in the gospel, if it's not founded in my relationship with the Lord Jesus and, and all of those things, then it's nothing. And there are, there are organizations in the world who love far better than we do. There are people in the world who love far better, but they're not saved. So we understand that. But if we are indeed saved, how do we love God? And our brother said this morning, singing is not worship. And saying I love God and singing songs about I love, I love you, Lord, is not love. Loving him is in loving one another. Loving one another. You see, John is saying you can't separate these things. You can't say, I love God and not love your brother. Because at the end of the day, who are we? We are the body of Christ. He is the head. Nothing that you do to the body of Christ is not done and does not affect him personally. Directly. You can't touch my wife and think you're not touching me. You insult her, you insulted me. You bless her, you blessed me. We bless one another, we're blessing the Lord. Folk, we need to get beyond theory. We need to get beyond theology. We need, need to get beyond Hypothetical ideas, because that's all love is for the majority of Christians. It's just hypothetical. It's just theory. Pie in the sky. But we need to get from pie in the sky to meat on the plate. We need to get to reality. We, we, we know so much about theology. 
speaking of the churches represented here, I know the, the standard of doctrine and of teaching. And that's great. But we need to get beyond that. We need to begin to put this into practice. Remember the church of Ephesus. Folks, never forget the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. You've left your first love. They had their doctrine squared away. They had their church structure sorted out. They had their holiness sorted out. They had it all worked out. Everything was great. They had 11 things for which God commends them. But the most important thing they'd left was their first love. And we said, well, we, we haven't left out. We love the Lord. No, what, what has John said? Never mind loving the Lord. Love your brother. Because that's how we love the Lord. All right. Let's go to verse 21 of chapter 4. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I think you understand that we, we're, we say we're under grace, we're not under law. But remember that there were 613 commands in the Old Testament, according to the count of the rabbis. There are over 2,000 commands in the New Testament. And folk, a command is a command. Husbands, love your wives. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a command. And there is no difference in the... In the uh, the, 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 the weightiness of the command, you shall not kill, and the command, husbands, love your wives. Because it's the same God who said, do this. And God doesn't have variation. Without it, with him, there is no variation or shadow of turning. And when God says, do it, you better do it. Whether he says don't kill or whether he says love, you better do it. It's not a suggestion. Please understand, we're not saved by keeping these commands. But we keep them because we are saved. So it is a direct command. This command or commandment we have from him that he who loves God must Love his brother also. Uh, turn very quickly to chapter 5 um, and verse 1. And I just want to draw one or two final points. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Great. We, we know that. We're saved by faith. And everyone who loves him who begot, who, who begot? The Father. The, the, Jesus is the begotten, the Father is the one who begot, who also loved him who is begotten of him. So faith is put into practice in love. Faith without works is dead. We say, well, what are the works of faith? Here's the first work of faith, love. All right, you can mull on that and then verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So that deals with the whole social gospel thing. So he's saying there's a circle. I love God, therefore I love the brethren. I love the brethren because I love God. You can't love the brethren and not love God. So those who preach the social gospel and say, well, you know, we need to feed the poor, we need to help people, you know, while those things are good and great, but they don't love God and they don't keep his commandments. So they, they keep the commandment of saying we need to love one another, but they don't keep the other commandments. He says it doesn't work that way either. So there needs to be a continuum or there needs to be this, this circle. I love God, therefore I love my brother. I love my brother because I love God. And these things need to be a whole. Now, folk, I've said a lot this morning. I've told you nothing new. But if there's one thing that I want each one of us to take away, 
And that is, it needs to become real. It needs to become real. It needs to go beyond just talk. And I want you to make a plan, an action plan. And as you drive home this afternoon, discuss it with your husband, your wife, your family. Say, how are we going to love the brethren? Amen.